Hi, thanks for listening to Christmas Crackers with Carol and Nick. Where we unnecessarily dissect your favourite and not-so-favourite Christmas movies. This podcast contains strong language, ridiculous references, spoilers and mild nudity. Hello and welcome back to Christmas Crackers with Carol and Nick. I'm very excited to be going back in time a little bit to a contemporary classic um, that is Love Actually today. Yes, Carol, you picked this one, are we? we I did yeah. pick this one. When, I, when we say you picked it, like it definitely had my endorsement and it is it is gone into the uh, the canon as a Christmas classic. So we, it would probably be remiss of us not to cover this film, at least at some stage. So we're getting it in early in episode three just to show that we've got some Christmas film chops <laughs> Indeed. Um, but before we get stuck in, should we have a little um, – I've got a few things to pick up from the second episode that I have researched and educated myself on. And, of oh, course, please, we need please. to get some notes from the elf. But yeah. let's, maybe I'll start let, with mine. Yeah, let's go There's with your one. education. Yeah. My education. So I was quite adamant in the last episode that ham is for Christmas and not for Easter. I was like, I don't even know what this is about. I supported so, you. I was standing yeah, we side were, by side with you. We were – we're quite black and white about it, and it turns out that it is a particularly Australian thing and that in the States um, it's turkey at Thanksgiving, like prime rib at Christmas, brisket at Hanukkah and an Easter ham. And historically I think there'd been like lamb at Easter, but it had morphed into um, ham and maybe that's just because it's autumn and you're curing things before winter. I just but think, anyway, what it is. I think what it is is it's these American – families of excess that buy the biggest hams at Christmas and they're still eating them by bloody Easter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're, yeah, that Costco special. Um, yep. But, yes, yeah, so it turns out that we did overreact and it's not quite as outrageous as we thought. So well, there you go. You learn like something our, new every day. It's not like us to overreact and, you know, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, should we hear from the elf? Let's hear the, from the elf. The, uh, the elf... Uh, was working away in Santa's Santa's workshop and, again, has delivered their notes on the back of a uh, fabric roll. Um, but, look, you know, episode two was fairly well received by the elf, I have to say. Like, um, they were pleased that we took the notes. I got a special mention that my Mariah moment was much improved, um, which I, you know, I really, you know, warms warms the cockles, cockles of my heart. Um, the elf is moving to Scotland. They're oh, jumping the on a jet was... plane and they're moving to Scotland because they want in on the knitting club. They <laughs> do, but the, the elf was very, I think that we sort of gave props to the film for doing Scotland a great, you know, tourism campaign. And then I think we carried it through. And then now the elf is probably on, on route there post Christmas. So, you know, there we go. But I also think the elf gave me some feedback that in, yes. the, in the first episode, um, I thought the kiss was too late and the second episode I thought the kiss was too early and she thinks that I'm quite hard to please. Um, but well, I think that this film has it all, so I think we're going to even it all out in episode three. Yeah, there was just one <laughs> one thing, which I'm, I'm calling the elf out on. I'm sorry. They said, great that you learnt the, ca- the, uh, the characters' names, but you can't just rename them to suit yourself. Uh, elf, we can and we will. <laughs> 
Well, we can't be expected honest, to learn these randoms' names, honestly. <laughs> there's so many characters in this film. I don't even know how we're going to get through it. But anyway, that's my that's my next challenge. Yeah, it is. Um, it is a biggie. So let's um. Should we do it? Like nine subplots. So let's get stuck in. Yeah. Actually, I uh, you said that, and I had a look. It's actually ten. Oh. It's actually ten. Let's get to this. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive in. Love actually is a film. It's actually 20 years old um, this year. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, it's Love the Actually. Jubilee. <laughs> it's the Jubilee. Can you just jubilee say Jubilee? Year. The Jubilee year of Love Actually. So it's Jubilee 20. No, a, a Jubilee is just a celebration, isn't it? Oh, but isn't she the, oh, because a queen had silver and different colours. Yeah, there's different, there's different Jubilees, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks in a row with Wrestling the Queen, too, by the way. Just want to call that one out. <laughs> two, two, two out of three. Um, um, so this film, look, there is absolutely no way that I'm going to be able to summarise the plot of this film in any kind of coherent sense. And if I was to do that, it would take as long as the actual film. And seeing it's 20 years old and a contemporary Christmas classic, we're going to assume a little bit of... Um, a little bit of knowledge about this, but basically it's filmed in London. Um, it has 10 separate stories of individuals, all of whom you realise are more interlinked than you expect. You know, uh, uh, one of the characters works in this office, but then she happens to live next door to this other character that works in the Prime Minister's office. So it all kind of interlinks into one giant Christmas bonanza. Um, there is love in many guises in terms of there's love between friends, between um, oddly between staff and employees. We'll, we'll definitely come back we'll to that. We'll definitely get to that one. Hey, can I pull you up for a second? If you go to the Wikipedia page for Love Actually, there is a great web of how all these characters are connected. Oh, no, I did see that. There's a little yep. nice, someone's done a nice little drawing. A nice little drawing. And, and you know what? It was very helpful. There's colour coding. I enjoyed that. Yeah, and I think we need to thank the person who spent a lot of time in, uh, you know, PowerPoint arranging all these things and making sure that the lines lined up and making it nice and, you know, because that would have taken a while. It would have taken a while. I appreciated it. Um, but I thought that before I actually opened the film and I started watching the film, I wrote down a few notes in terms of what my memories of the film are because I was pretty nostalgic about it. I used to love it quite a lot. Yeah. I, think I actually saw it at the cinema when it came out, which is... I think I did too. And I yeah. think... For a film that is 20 years old, like I was actually surprised that it's 20 years old. We do, I think, and I think particularly for this film, there is a, there's a level of like, you're, you're right, it's a nostalgia for this film. But then when you rewatch it, it brings up a whole other new thing. And I think we're going to chat about that at some stage. Yes, so I'd I'm love sure. to hear what you, <laughs> what you had written down previewing. So previewing, I wrote down that my memories of, of this film is very warm and fuzzy. Um, I think that iconic opening scene in Heathrow is kind of timeless. And actually, I believe that Qantas pretty much ripped off that whole scene um, with its advertising post-COVID. It was oh, pretty much totally. leaning deeply into that um, yeah. Heathrow reuniting families, friends, lovers. Yeah. Um, of course, everyone remembers the whole placard scene with Kira Knightley's character. <laughs> Um, I also just remember sort of that it's got a major cast. It's got Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson, Colin Firth, Laura Linney, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, Kieran Knightley, Martin McCutcheon, Bill Nye, Rowan Atkinson, just to start. Like it's it's megawatt cast. And my memory of the cast I've written here, I remember that Snape was being Snapey the whole time. That's <laughs> Alan Rickman's yeah. other character from Harry Potter. Yeah. Billy Bob just generally being Billy Bobby and kind of creepy. 
Um, I've got a thing about Billy Bob, which I want to get to Billy Bob at some stage. (laughs) And then Mr. Bean is just kind of beanie. So it's kind of like the kind of kick, all the characters kind of are pretty true to to who they normally play. I mean, Hugh Jackman plays that kind of English flappy kind of guy. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. It's the other Hugh. You're getting your Hughes mixed up, mate. Jackman was in this film. Anyway, um, what what is different with this one is that um, it actually moves away from New York, which is nice for a change. We're in London yeah. this time. Yeah, but um, it is, it's it's a very particular part of London. It's it's yeah, basically like, Notting Hill, the Notting Hill Muse. We're not going out to you know Hackney or Wilsdon or Wembley or no, they you go know, to We go to Watford. I want to go to Wandsworth. Wandsworth. The dodgy end. The dodgy <laughs> end, which is like looks still pretty fancy. FYI. It's still pretty bloody fancy. Like I, I lived in London for a little while, and that dodgy was what was definitely not what I saw for dodgy. Like not that I went to particularly solid places, but you know, like it's it's a major capital city. There are some darker elements of yeah, and it was, yeah. it's a very pretty version of London. It is indeed. But, yeah, my other memory from this that I wrote down was that just it's a deeply Christmassy movie. It's got two Christmas songs, um, the one that Bill Nye sings that yep. Christmas is all around me and then yep. the Mariah Kavar. Yep. Um, there's a Christmas play, there's Christmas shopping, there's snow, and there's an inappropriate Christmas work party. Uh, so it, yep. And don't forget the Christmas lobster, the Christmas lobster oh, yes. or the octopus. I also wrote that down. Yeah, that's my. I remembered the Christmas lobster from the no, from the Christmas lobster from the nativity scene. There you yes, go. and the lobster. Don't forget the lobster. Eighties a lot of legs, David. Octopus, octopus. <laughs> Martin McCutcheon's <laughs> mum with eighties a lot of legs, David. That 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 line every time just has me absolutely pissing myself for no apparent reason. I just, to be honest, it makes no sense. <laughs> Natalie, which is my teen's character, she her, her mother definitely needed more airtime. She needed a whole plot <laughs> yeah. of her own because she, she has like three lines song. and smashes all of them. <laughs> Just brilliant. <laughs> anyway, so that were my precursors of like pre thinking when I before I went into the film. So I just want to just do a few first notes of it actually when I start to watch it, just to see, yeah. ease us into this. Yeah. Number one, the Heathrow opening didn't disappoint. Still pretty oh. great. Yeah, I look, always get a bit emo around that. So absolutely, look, I can you remember the, there was I think there was a show it was like Airport or something like that where they had a lot of these stories, I love and that I, show. it was one of those shows where it was like every time I was there sitting on the couch, probably with my cat, crying about these people running through you know airports. I think there's there's something really. There's something really lovely about airports because if you ever get like, and I have done a little bit of travel, so nowhere near as much as what you have, but I've always wanted people to meet me at the gate, being like, "Hello, <laughs> you've been gone for six days. <laughs> Where's my bloody sign?" Oh god! And we thought that a lot happened in the last film in um, A Castle for Christmas in the first 24 minutes, but in the first five minutes of this one, they kind of introduce every character in very quick succession. So, which is no well, mean feat. Which is no mean feat. So my um, my general first response was, yes, deeply London. You see a tree being carried across the Thames over someone's shoulder. You see the um, Trafalgar Square with all the trees. You see lights all over London. You see the ice skating rink at Somerset House. It's feeling deeply festive. Um and then 
as I cut through all the different stories, I'm like, yeah, 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 I remember this. And then I'm like, how could I forget the whole porn filming? <laughs> With Joanna Page, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This was this was pre Joanna Page pre Gavin and Stacey years. Yeah. So I I love Joanna Page and I love her particularly from um, Gavin and Stacey, which is a if anyone hasn't seen Gavin and Stacey, it's a really great British comedy. But also to link this back to this podcast, has you know, you know how they, the Brits do a TV like a Christmas special because it's so bloody cold. They all sit in at home at Christmas and they watch TV. It's like a you know, there's an EastEnders special, there's a Coronation Street Christmas special, and they all play on Christmas Day. And Gavin and Stacey did a Christmas special, and it is an absolute corker. It is so good. Um, you can, if you find, I'm sure it's on one of the streaming services. You can find it, and you can actually watch it. You can watch it as a standalone without necessarily knowing a great deal of it. It is so, so good, and it's just one of those, one of those ones that I would would go back to each Christmas and and rewatch it. And I know there's, I've got a few friends that we do, um, we say, oh, it's time for the Gavin and Stacey Christmas special because it is, it's so cracking. Well, confession. I have never seen said Gavin and Stacey, but maybe yeah, this will be my educate you. <laughs> watching over the break. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know what I was really excited about? I guess there's a few main love stories in this film, but the main one is through Hugh Grant's character, who is the Prime Minister, the just sworn in Prime Minister um, David. David. And he's, um, I don't know what her job is in the. She's the like, tea lady. Yeah, but. It's clearly not her title, tea lady, because they were introduced to like the housekeeper, um, the butler, and then she's like the the, the person that gets the the chocolate biscuits, the good ones. Yeah, um, who do you got to who do you got to shag around here to get a cup of tea and a chocolate biscuit? Like it's yeah, yeah that's one of the lines in the film. That is um, one of the lines. Look, um, let's, let's not underestimate the you know the power of the Brit and the cup of tea. I wouldn't be surprised if you know the prime minister has got someone called the tea lady, and I think that that could be written into their constitution. I think that might be a royal mandate that all prime ministers must have a tea lady. <laughs> well, there you go. Anyway, their first meeting <laughs> has everything that I always like in a Christmas love story. It's awkward. They clearly like each other. They both start swearing an unnecessary amount. And when, this actually happens quite a lot in this film, when they stop talking and they walk away, Hugh Grant, I have to really stop myself from <laughs> Hugh Jackman. Um, Hugh Grant turns around and looks back at her. And that happens throughout the film. Like whenever there's any kind of exchange, whether it's between um, Alan Rickman's character and his um, EA, there's yep. always like a double take look back. It's just like a little bit of a, a classic Christmas. Or romantic like has, movie thing. Yeah, I feel like it has that same like few chords over the top of it. That, like, you know, there's that the romantic sort of music element. Hey, can yeah. I just pick you up on, on one thing which you just said, which I love that, you know, I love a little bit of a swear myself sometimes. Shocking, I may know. Uh, but Richard Curtis, who was the director, writer of this film, is also known for a lot of his work with with other other big films like Notting Hill, like similar to the Notting Hill, but Four Weddings and a Funeral. And I think the swearing at the start is a little thing that's a bit of a callback because remember the start of Four Weddings and a Funeral, you've got, again, Hugh, yeah. Hugh Grant, not Jackman, the other Hugh, <laughs> Hugh Grant being late for the wedding and he's picking up his sister and they're going, fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah. I, I remember that my parents, Four Weddings and a Funeral came on and we, I would have been, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13 at the time. They came on, you know, Channel 9. 
Um, and that was the start of the film. And they're like, oh, absolutely not. We are not watching this film. No, no, no. We don't have that in, in, in our house, which it was, you know, really sweet of them, considering the amount of swears that I do do now. Um, but I just thought it was a, it's a it's it's a it's a funny little alignment of how we start a lot of these British films with the with the swears, and I I don't know I quite like it. No, I quite like it, but I also just like the fact that Hugh Grant this is this is probably peak Hugh Grant season when he was in oh, yeah. every single yeah. um, romantic comedy. He is like Bridget Jones, I think, is just after this, maybe or just before, yeah, or one of them. They're probably sandwiched yeah. between one and two yeah. or three. Um, and actually, same with Colin first. Yeah. Like it's like the deep era of those two of leading, yeah. leading heartthrobs. Um, <laughs> so this kind of like foppish British character is very familiar. He doesn't even try to be a different character. And when that first scene when he's pretending to be prime minister, um, and then in a really long boardroom, I'm just like, I'm not sure really if you've got the chops, Hugh, to be making these big decisions. He's like his actual thing was like, oh yes, and what's next? It's like. Mate. Yeah, yeah. But remember, we're also living in the time of Tony Blair. Like, you know, he, he's, he's playing this sort of like Tony Blair-esque, youngish, boyish. That's true. Some may call him a fuckboy. I wouldn't go so deep as to say that. I did read that on the internet somewhere. But, you know, like the, <laughs> they, they were not. they were not, not what I was expecting, but anyway. Continue. They were not so kind to Hugh in this film. I'll be, I'll be honest. There are pockets on the internet that were not so kind. But, um, yeah, like we, we need to remember that we are living, you know, this is this is sort of at the, towards the end of Tony, Tony Blair's um, prime ministership before we get in, moving to um, Gordon Brown, who, funny story... Here's a little mm-hmm. tidbit for you. Um, Richard Curtis and the one of the set designers actually got a tour of number 10 and actually number 11. So the Chancellor of the Exchequer lives at number 11 and the Prime Minister lives at number 10. Um, they got a tour of number number 10 and 11 by uh, Gordon Brown. I think he was that just, is- I think he was the Chancellor at the time. I don't think he was the Prime Minister. Um, and that's how they got all the – they weren't allowed to take photos or any sketches, but they, they did this tour, and then the set designer went away and did all the sketches, and they, they created the sets off, um, off, off a tour with Gordon Brown. Well, there you go. And you know okay. what? That is kind of your dream tour, is it absolutely. not? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> there is no doubt about that. That is, that is my dream tour. All right, well, I think we need to move into a really um, important discussion about the fact that, yes, there's a lot of swearing in this film, which we're here for. There is a lot of sexual innuendo. Like, it's dense. Yeah. It's a bit, and, you know, not just, to be honest, the cleanest chat is in the porn scenes, which is hilarious. Oh, it's so wholesome. It's so wholesome, which is (laughs) great. It's great writing. But, like, the kind of chat, you know, number one around the chiclet, Chocolate Biscuit, Billy Mac in general, that whole character, the one oh, that yeah. sends Christmas all around you is generally off-pissed most of the film. Yeah. Um, also here Mia, for that too. <laughs> <laughs> Mia, who is um, the EA to Alan Rickman, is constantly, oh. constantly walking on the edge, you know, I hope the Christmas party has dark corners for dark deeds, like this kind of chat. Yeah, it- look, and I don't want to bring the tone down too much, but there is there is a one, there's one scene where she's... They're in the office, and she says, "She says something. What I, I can't remember what what the line is, but she does this like 
The turn on her chair. The turn on she's turn on her chair and she turns around and sort of like does this like not even like a Sharon Stone kind of basic Basic instinct. instinct. No. No. It's just like it's one where it just like oh I just I every time I see it, I was like, oh, that just sits really uncomfortably with me. Twenty years later, like the workplace is a completely different place, which is great. But this, this is kind clearly of, me before pre me too. Like this is deeply me too, and like there's, you know, the the relationship between Hugh Grant um, and his tea lady, Natalie, and then yep. Natalie, David, and Natalie, and Take then that, um, <laughs> Alan Rickman, who what's the name of his character? Harry, Harry, Harry Mia. Yep. He's EA. Again, it's like staffing things, and then also Harry kind of takes Laura Linney aside who I love, yeah, and brings her in his office in, under the guise of a meeting and it's, and it's just like, look, everyone knows that you love Carl and you're obsessed with Carl, who, you know, to be honest, who isn't. He's a beautiful man. Oh, um, what did I, I, did like, I, well, I called him something in my notes. Hottie McHotface. There you go. Um, yeah. But he, what boss brings you in to tell you at the Christmas party to go after another staff member? I oh. would say no boss. Or We've nobody should be doing here. that. We've got yeah. deep problems here. Yeah, HR is having absolute backfillets in, in the corner over there being like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Mate, you can't do that. No. I mean, no. There's a whole lot of things. At one point, to peak this hilarity, Hugh Grant turns to a painting of Margaret Thatcher and kind of oh, yeah. asks her whether she ever had any trouble with, you know, having feelings for any staffer staffing little staffers and then calls her a saucy minx hilarious yeah Yeah. hilarious also a bit like oh yeah 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 i ah there's just so many things in this film where i was like i really want to like it i really want to laugh at it and i think this is probably where the different readings i think 20 years ago i would have laughed my ass off of that now i'm just a bit like Oh, can yeah. we say that? I don't think we can say that. And we said this then, last week. Was it last week, the week before? No, we said it last week about Robin Hood, Prince in Tights. I just don't know whether, again, this film would be made in the same way. It now. would be definitely edited yeah, quite for a sure. bit. Yeah. And then the fact that when then Billy Bob, um, Billy Bob Thornton plays the President of the United States, he's pretty brash, comes in. And this, I think, is that when Billy Bob was wearing that whole um, Angelina Jolie blood vial Oh, yeah. I think it's that What about time. that? Yes. Yeah. So he's like, in terms of popular culture, he's seen as like, you know, into, I don't know, I'm going to say knives, but I don't know if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, he's really that guy that's really on the edge of, of you know, what celebrities in Hollywood. He's like naughty Hollywood, dark Hollywood. Um, so he turns up and there's a moment with him and um, Natalie alone while um, Hugh Grant's getting some paperwork that's inappropriate and the irony is is that like there's been so much inappropriateness up until this point um that it's just like kind of the actual physical inappropriateness is what tips it over the edge and I think that's probably says a lot about 2003 was that you could be really push things in terms of language oh yeah as long as you yep. didn't do anything well now you can't do anything still but you also need to just watch what you say and that's really was sort of a really big takeaway for me in terms of yeah, abs- 20 years has passed. Totally, totally. And look, we, you and I, we're no, we're no work warriors, but like we definitely know what's right and what's wrong. And mm. <laughs> there is, we can look back at, you know, 2003 and 
be in 2023 and know that all of that is inappropriate. In yeah. 2003, it was the touching that's inappropriate. But we look back now and we're like, well, <laughs> the whole thing is it's got problems. <laughs> can I can I bring you up another little, <laughs> another little tidbit, which I thought was really funny? So remember last week we we learned about um, Scotch dresses, which yes, and to be honest. I have mm-hmm. a new Scotch dresser and I have not yeah. had a new Scotch dresser in probably 20 years. So it's hilarious <laughs> that I learnt the word and then I've been able to use it like in general day-to-day life. Not Does yours the have last a, few days. a lovely Christmas garland on top of it? Mine is still in pieces. It's a flat pack situation that's going to take a few days. <laughs> okay. When you get to the when you get to the not being in a million pieces, make sure you put a lovely Christmas garland. I on will. Top, I it's do really have a the thing that, that offsets it. But <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton apparently has a fear of antique furniture. <laughs> what? Yeah, fear of antique furniture. This is where I went into the IMDb page <laughs> and went into the okay. trivia section. A vial of blood is yeah. okay. Happy to wear Angelina Jolie's blood around his neck. But a but Scotch dresser. A Scotch no. dresser sends him right off the edge, which I thought was hilarious considering here he is being the US president in number 10 Downing, which I'm sure is full of antique furniture. <laughs> Well, it's very woody. Like, all the walls are very wood woody. in that place. Yeah. Very, very woody. woody. Yeah, mm. antique furniture, Billy Bob Thornton. That's one that you can bring up at the old Christmas, the uh, work Christmas parties. It's oh, a work trivia. Yeah. It's a freebie <laughs> from me. <laughs> um, now, we can't not talk about, speaking of, you know, the knowledge and the set building of the inside of um, number 10, <laughs> is Hugh Jackman's dance to... Grant, mate. It's Grant. Grant. <laughs> I've lost the plot. Hugh <laughs> Grant's dance to jump, which is pretty kind of um, iconic in the movie with him sort of dancing around the empty number 10 and then running, finally running into the housekeeper at the bottom. Um, and Not the tea I, lady, the housekeeper. The housekeeper. And I did a little bit of watching. Did you know that in 2017 there actually was a really short film, I think it's like 15 minutes, um, that was uh, – bringing the whole cast back, almost the whole cast back again um, to do a short called um, Red Nose Day, actually. Yes. So before you get into that, so Richard Curtis, who is the director and, uh, sorry, the writer and first time directing in this film. So Mm -hmm. Richard Curtis is very well known, you know, obviously writer, um, did things like Mr. Bean, which is why we've obviously got Rowan Atkins in here, wrote a lot of Vicar of Dibley, did, did Black Adder, you know. All, so he's he's a like a British institution. But another big thing over there is Red Nose Day, which is very different to our Red Nose Day here in Australia. Well, I remember it being quite big when I was little and it's not really big anymore, but it was quite big when we were at school. And yeah, I, and they, yeah. they do a lot of things. Like Richard Curtis also – so he's 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 – really big on the philanthropic side as well. So he worked with Bob Geldof on Live 8 and, you know, Make Poverty History and on all these sorts of things. So it's when we talk about Red Nose Day, it's it's a probably important one to sort of differentiate that it's a little bit different here in Australia and there's a lot of TV specials. So they go down the old route of the old telethon and they get all these actors and they will do special little skits or, you know, sketches from different... Um, like I think Vicar yeah. Dibley has done like has done a few like a lot of if you do like searches for Red Nose Day you'll sort of see the full breadth of what they do pull out. So bringing back this ensemble cast was a massive thing. Yeah, and probably a massive fundraiser as well. And I would just like yeah. to mention here it's episode three and we have not mentioned it, but I feel like this is the great segue. 
is in Australia we have the equivalent with things like um, the Good Friday Appeal, but also we have Carols by Candlelight. Absolutely. Um, Christmas Eve, my music bowl, very important to my life every year. My family make a, um, a bingo that goes with <laughs> it, which includes things like how many times Marina Pryor is going to be called lovely. Yeah. Um, it, it, it thinks about what kind of how many sparkles is going to be on Anthony Kelly's jacket. Yeah. It's um, going to think about what's his name? Dennis? Dennis, Dennis Walter. Walter turns yep, up Dennis Walter. once a year and he always sings. Um, yeah, they, I just think at the, ba- at the back of the music bowl, they've got a cupboard. They've got Dennis, Dennis Walter, <laughs> Sylvie Palladino. <laughs> they've got, you know, Anthony Kalia's husband and they just like wind them up and chuck them out on stage and off they go and sing in their little Christmas carols. You know, I, I do like it. I get a bit snippy if people don't want to watch it. So <laughs> I, I've actually yeah. never been. So it's one of those things I think um, we might have Did- to make it a, a thing. You know, this is this is one of my things that um, my dad. My dad's a massive Christmas person. Loves it. Loves Christmas. Loves his. Really? You know, yeah, huge, huge. Loves Christmas. Did you put lots of lights on your family house as a kid? Oh, mate, we like if we get, get to National Lampoons, <laughs> we were called the Griswolds. We were called the Griswolds because we were, you know, quite influential in the in the early days. Because my dad, is, you're an, you're an, you're you're a Christmas <laughs> house Christmas, influencer, Christmas light influencer, particularly. <laughs> Um, and I'm, I'm not going to give too much away about my my father's identity, but we had access to a lot of lighting for like fairy lights. So our house was, you know, covered and we had, um, you know, like cut out. I remember one year I cut out some reindeers out of like balsa wood, uh, not balsa wood, like plywood and painted them. And then I hit them with a car once and I broke a reindeer's leg. It was very sad. <laughs> Like, this is a whole other. We need to discuss this later. We've got a whole episode on this. We've got a whole episode. <laughs> but coming back to what to the the task at hand. So Red Nose Day actually is thirteen years later. Brings pretty much most of the cast back together. Ties up a few loose ends, um, but also reenacts um, the dancing in Number Ten. So in um, Red Nose Day, actually. Hugh Grant's character has just been re-elected back into office. He's gone back into um, Number Ten. He's there. With Natalie, they're clearly married. She is now drinking tea and she makes for herself and refusing to make him tea. And he dances around the house and falls down the stairs, but he's dancing to Hotline Bling, <laughs> which is pretty great. I did yeah. enjoy that. Um, Billy Mack um, has released a new um, charity single. It's a cover of um, the 1983 Dizzy Top song, Give Me All Your Lovin', which is yeah. hilarious. He jokes <laughs> about having sex with Kardashians but not knowing which one. Um, and Laura Linney, who oh, I just love so much her character, who I have now also forgotten the name of, um, the, her phone rings. Oh, that was another thing I remembered from the film, the incessant Nokia ring of her phone. Oh, God. Yeah, it's actually quite triggering. It's really traumatic for that for that one particular scene. Oh, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Anyway, her phone rings like that in um, – Red Nose Day, actually, and it is revealed to be her husband, who is none other than McDreamy, Patrick Dempsey. Um, oh. And so it's kind of tied up that she's back in the States and very happy and has this very nice little banter that's very light and so opposite of her entire um, character arc in Love, actually, the first film. So I really, that was really, really great. Also, Rowan Atkinson comes back. He now works at like a, 
like a pharmacy almost. There's a massive queue because he's just dishing out lollies, but he's yeah. doing it in the most ridiculously painful, almost word for word exchange oh. that he had with um Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman in the first one. Yeah. yeah so it's yeah. pretty much they repeat everything word for word, but just sort of updated a bit, except for the Laura Linney. Um yeah. Bit. But yeah, I really enjoy it. If you haven't seen it, it's only 15 minutes. You can get it on the internet for free. Um, but it's pretty great. Yeah. Oh, great. And also Mm-hmm. Um, Sam, the kid, oh, yeah, the kid, the drummer who's in love yeah. with Joanna, the singer, in the end, they turn up at the end of it and she they flown over from America and they're there to, um, to ask Liam Neeson, um, if they can get married. So, oh, cute, really cute. Sorry for the spoilers, Elf, but it had to happen. But no, no it's really, it's kind of really cute. So, highly recommend watching that. I think we can placate the Elf with the fact that we knew. You know, Sam, Joanna, they're all actual characters' names, not actual actors' names. Um, actually, I just don't know who those actors' names are, but that's that's besides the point. Um, hey, can we talk about can we talk about Rowan Atkinson for a second? I of course. Bloody, Rowan Atkinson, I, I don't know. I grew up in <laughs> I grew up in the days of ABC was one of the only TV stations which were allowed, and you know, going back to what my parents were <laughs> did and didn't allow us to watch. But Mr. Bean was one of the things which we were allowed to watch. So I, I have this soft spot for Mr. Bean. But he, the the wrapping that present, I just think I think Rowan Atkinson is one of the finest character actors that we have seen ever, and he just does it in this way which is absolutely excruciating and I loved every second. The way he gets the uh, the lavender and he like rubs oh. it between his, with a little like flourish of the hand. And I was just like, this is, it's amazing. But there's also this like deep anxiety which is happening at the same time because we've got Alan Rickman's character, Harry, being a bit of a prick. Um yeah, and it's, it's it's funny, again, it went down a weird little rabbit hole and sort of finding out different things. Apparently, in one of the early scripts, he was Rufus, or Rowan Atkinson, was actually written as a, and I wrote this, and I was like, is he an angel? Um, and then when I read on the internet, yeah, it was, he was supposed to be this sort of like spirit character, because at the end, when Sam is running through, the reason that Sam can run through Heathrow Airport to get to Joanna is because he's being all, he's there in a suit and he's like, Again, faffing about, which I hate faffing, <laughs> faffing about trying to find his ticket. And then he's like, oh, sorry, I must have left it where I was having a cup of coffee. And, you know, turns around, <laughs> gives Liam Neeson this, like, knowing wink. And then that's when Sam can, like, run through and, you know, go down and see Joanna through security, which, again, we are. Well, it's kind of an angel thing in the fact that, yeah, he, he helps someone get somewhere fast there. And then yeah. earlier he just is so excruciatingly slow. Yeah, and the, the, I think one of the one of the original scripts was that he he was then turned around and then he was just to disappear, like in this sort of like. But they decided to take it out to remove the supernatural element of it, which yeah, I think that's a good choice. I think it's a good choice. Yeah, and also at the same time as this, he was starring in that Johnny English se- um, yeah. series of films, which <laughs> yeah. is very odd. They're like spy action comedy films, yeah. Um, yeah. starring Natalie Umbrella. As well, Natalie Umbrella. I forgot she was in those films. <laughs> yeah, yes. and it was kind of like. James Bondy, but Mr. Bean is James Bond. Very, yeah. Yeah. very hilarious. Yeah, quite funny. But can we now turn? I think we need to spend some time talking about Colin Firth here. Um, yeah. And him going going to France, meeting uh, meeting this Portuguese Aurelia, 
Um, and then having this whole kind of relationship, non-relationship while he's writing his book on a typewriter. Oh, um, yeah, that, an- like, oh, that annoyed me. Sorry. Why? Like, we're 2003. It's not 1933, mate. Come on. Why? You're not, like, you, you ain't bloody, I don't know, Graham Greene. Like, you, you're like, yeah. Graham Greene. No, it's re- there is just because she then puts it, picks his old dirty cup of tea up and all the bits of paper go flying into the yeah. pond. So we get to see Colin Firth back in a pond, which is kind of yeah, his I romantic mean, comedy, yeah. romantic lead. Yeah. Yeah, he, <laughs> he needs to be near a pond at all times to make the film really work. Part of his writer. But like- can I just say, what I love about his character, though, is that he's clearly so terrible at languages, so oh. terrible, but he just keeps going. This just keeps going. That's, and that's I love that. I just love <laughs> I love people who when they know they can't do it and they keep trying because I find that I get super self-conscious with when I'm trying to speak another language and then just revert to not not trying. Yeah, um, just becoming mute. Yeah, becoming mute or just doing charades, which is terrible. Oh, but I actually pay people and I respect people who actually just try and keep going because you're actually going to learn and get there. And at the end of the film, he does. I mean, he joins this weird language school where he's sitting in a room full of other people with headphones on, which feels like you could just do that at home. But anyway, walks around town with his shopping. 2003, mate. 2003. This is, <laughs> this is the internet is barely alive. The internet is alive. It's alive, um, but not then- that well. And then he um, he learns a language and so eventually he can go back to Aurelia and speak Portuguese to her and her family. Um, yeah, actually but, in – sorry, go on. No, I, I just was just going to say, again, this is logistical detail, which, again, is not, not important, but I'm confused about the timeline for this film. <laughs> <laughs> At the start of the film, it's Christmassy, then – no, get- no, 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 there's a what do you mean you're confused about the timeline? It is the most clear they have a timestamp that comes up every few minutes. It's like five weeks till Christmas, four weeks till Christmas, three weeks till Christmas. Yeah, but he learns that language very quickly. <laughs> well, you know what? He doesn't actually because he messes he's you know, it's it's passable by the time they see each other. Well, yeah, again. it's it's but still in, crap. In the, <laughs> She's done a better in, job. Yeah, correct. In Red Nose Day, actually. She's fluent in English. They've got three kids and then she says, you know, to the kids, we've got to speak Portuguese in the car on the way home. And then they all start speaking and he's got no idea what's going on. So clearly his, his knack for languages still Shit. is not there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also can I just say that when he leaves um, to go back to the UK, they have this moment on the side of a freeway where they both say that they're <sighs> going to miss each other in they can't understand each other. And then she just, you know, t- takes a punt and kisses him and then walks off and he just stands there. Yeah. And there's, like, doesn't walk after her. The thing I noticed about that scene was that was just a bad place to park. He's parked on the corner. <laughs> but also backing into what looked like a, a like a, a gated off, like, yeah, industrial left, left area. In industrial estate being like, thanks, love, see you later. Thanks for cleaning the house. Yeah. So it doesn't. So she kisses him. He doesn't respond or have any kind of facial expression after the kiss. Just stands there looking stoic. Gets back in the car and true to the form of her calling him a bad driver, crashes immediately. Then he goes back to the UK, goes to his language classes and then is in one of those rushing through the airport, got to go find her right at the end to ask for her hand in marriage. But, like, there's clearly been no comms in between. And last time she saw him, he didn't respond to a kiss. So surely after that she would have been like, meh. 
Well, yeah, but mate, she's gone off and learned English. And again, this is where the timeline really, like, really spins my head. <laughs> like, in five weeks, the start of the film is what? Five weeks? Whatever. No, you know what? I think she's a linguist. I'm just going to look at I'm going <laughs> to. Okay, I'm going to do sure. it. Then. All right. Fine. Let's go with that. But it's like the timeline's weird, yeah? Like he gets <laughs> he's at his friend's wedding, his wife cheats on him, he pisses off to Pat France, then writes a book, <laughs> falls in love with someone, goes back to the UK, learns a language, then he pops up on Christmas Eve being like in the world's weirdest doorstep being like Oh, hello, everyone. And they're like, Uncle Jamie's here. And he's like, yeah, got to go. Don't, Dad, don't like your hat. Your little Christmas <laughs> outfit is a little bit too much for me. Thanks so much. Got to go. Drops the presents off and then gets back on a plane to Portugal. I was like, mate, the logi- again, the logistics of this is just all over the shop. Like, you, you, he would want to have had a really good travel agent being like, now you've got to hire, hire a car here. You've got to get on this flight. You've got to catch a taxi here. <sighs> It's it's exhausting. Like it's, it's. I love your outrage at this time. <laughs> You're gonna suspend disbelief, mate. You're gonna suspend disbelief. Yeah, yeah. But can we go to another awkward kiss? So Please. everyone talks about the the whole placard thing where um, Kieran Knightley, um, Kieran Knightley's character, who I also Juliet, she married marries Peter in this very over the top great wedding where there's a band that has a surprise band that plays Beatles. All you need is love. Yeah. Um, Kieran Knightley. Very I just cute. want to note here is eighteen. 18 when she films this movie. So yeah. I don't know why she's getting married at this age, but anyway. Again, this was peak nightly, though. Like, she was everywhere. Yeah, she was everywhere. Um, and it becomes, you know, apparent that Peter's best friend, Mark, is clearly in love with her, and she busts him with having this video of the, of the wedding that's just pretty much close-ups, like real close-ups of her face. Oh, re- like, <clears throat> oh, yeah. This, it was a lot. This storyline sits really in a weird spot for me. But it's really weird. Going. Yeah. yeah. And so when she discovers that, he kind of freaks out and runs out of the house and then, of course, great moment, Dido plays over the top of his stress, which was, you know. The, oh, the, the, Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, um, you have to have a Dido song if there's any kind of emotional angst at this yeah. point in any film, TV show, whatever. <laughs> Again, I would say this is peak Dido too. Like this, this film is peak for a lot of people. <laughs> The best they're going to be. Anyway, <laughs> then later on he turns up, this character Mark, um, at Juliet and Peter's house and and does the famous cue card um, sort of conversation with her out the front of the house as being like, you know, to me you're perfect, um, which is the sort of the famous line. Um, and then after that he walks away and she runs after him and kisses him. Yeah. Which, like... What? I mean, after she's been married thirty-five seconds. Yeah, yeah. and after, this is your, your your husband's best mate. And afterwards, yeah. he says, "You know, enough now, enough." Like he's drawn a line on it. But um, but still, I just felt that that was really kind of like Kira, Juliet. Sorry, what are you doing? This is no, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, yes. I actually thought she dealt with this whole situation quite well. Like, not only has she rocked up to his place and found all these really like extreme close-ups of herself when all she's looking for is just a nice picture of her in a wedding dress. She's found like a lot of like, we're talking up nose, like real, like creepy. Like again, I just don't think this storyline would have been included even like two or three years after 2003. Like I think it was probably pushing it in 2003 to start with. 
But I just thought that she dealt with it so well, just being like, oh, but but you don't like me. And he's like, well, clearly I am in love with you because I'm being a bit of a stalker. So then she like she deals with that, fine. But then she then he rocks up on her doorstep like, and then says, don't say anything, shush, say it's Christmas carolers. Also, I think there was, I think the 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 song he played only had one caroler, so it just it just wasn't like you pick the wrong song, mate. Like pick something with a chorus. Um, and then she, yeah, then like I just thought she dealt with the whole thing quite well, as opposed to being like, well, uh, husband. Yeah, no, I agree. Your I best agree. mates, a creepo. <laughs> but another thing about the whole thing is that one of the things on the cue cards is that he says it. At Christmas, you tell the truth. Yeah. And I, and then that's kind of like a thing for the film where that's why people actually do things and they say stuff, like they're quite honest about things. Um, but I find that at Christmas people do not tell the truth. Like people spend the whole time being polite to extended family members they may not have seen for quite some time. It's not Absolutely. really a truth bomb era because no one's really no. rocking the boat. You just want to no. have some fun and have some bubbles and yeah. sing some Christmas tunes or watch Carols by Candlelight in peace. With your bingo, as I do. But, um, yeah. yeah, I found that <laughs> the, the telling the truth thing to be interesting, which then, can I do a quick segue? Yeah, please. To Emma Thompson's character. Okay, who, I'm going to spend a lot of time here, so let's let's go down here. Let's go down here. Who, by the way, Emma Thompson, this is like acting is just so painful and so oh. fantastically played in this film, like stand out. Complete yeah. standout. Look, I'm, um, I'm going to declare an interest here that I think that Emma Thompson may be one of the deities of my life. Like she, like you know, if of of the of the queens that I would revere, Emma Thompson's definitely up there. Yeah, as this sort of Joni Mitchell um, oh. obsessed mother of two, managing an old married to Snape. Yeah. Um, she, but the way that she plays the fact that she has discovered that her husband is. You know, whether he's got a dalliance or he's thinking about it with his EA and the way that she casually brings it up with him instead of leaving the Christmas concert at the end um, is just perfectly cutting and fantastic. And still 20 years later, I celebrate that moment. It's pretty great. Uh, look, I, I I look at that moment um, and it is a, it's a, uh, it, you're right. It's, it's a, it's an acting masterclass, but it's also, it's also like it's a character masterclass as well in terms of how to develop this character because she's she's this beautiful, caring mother. She's made a paper mache lobster. She's just this amazing, amazing person. Great and friend. Great friend. To, she's to, there for um, the, his grieving husband, uh, grieving. We haven't friend. even talked about Liam Neeson, but yes, Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson. Yeah. Um, and the way that. Uh, she goes into the room. She goes in the room. She's like, oh, I just have to excuse myself because of the ice cream. Goes in the room. She puts Joni Mitchell on and um, both sides oh. now, which I just like, I went down a Joni Mitchell rabbit hole. And if you, yeah, me too. if you ever get the chance to, again, look on the internet. We've got a lot of references here. We'll have to put them in the show notes. If you look at um, Joni Mitchell at, oh, God, I've forgotten the name of it, um, the Folk Festival, just recently, like last year or the start of this year, and she's up on stage and she's sitting in this armchair and she sings both sides now. Even now, it just, like I was out for my walk yesterday morning, it gave me goosebumps. Like yeah. it's just such a beautiful song and Joni Mitchell is an absolute amazing, amazing artist. 
But there's there's something about Emma Thompson in that scene where she's put both sides now on, and she's having a cry in the bar in the in the bedroom. Yeah. And she, she straightens up the bed, and then she goes back out, and she's still like she has this one little moment where she composes herself just outside the door. And you can tell and that she, she, just keeps going. she just keeps going. And I think that's the the beauty of Emma Thompson as that as that character, where it's her her life is falling like you know her life is falling around you know around her, and for the strength of her family, she just continues on. And I just think, oh my god, that he's just, like again now. I'm sitting here and I've just got goosebumps at the thought of of that, and it's just shows the strength of her as a character shows the strength of her as 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 a woman and you know like it's well, so just- i think it's kind of also linked to her whole relationship because she'd broken up at this point with what's his name kenneth branner um, yes kenneth branner and i think that he did, did he did the dirty on her or something had an affair with helen helena bottom carter that's didn't talk correct. about an ensemble cast <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, so I think it's also reeling in the fact that this is a reality for many, many people. And I I thought it was really. And then when they meet at the airport at the end when her and the kids are there to pick up Snape from the airport, um, there is like this sort of curt acknowledgement of hello that I think is really um, telling that it doesn't just just finish with that. It's actually longer. But also I wanted to go back and say that this film has lots of very quick shots it cuts all the time. It follows people quite closely. Um, it's very kind of MTV-esque in the fact that it's moving quickly. But in that scene when she's in the bedroom, it's just a static camera of the whole room and yeah. nothing moves except for her. And I think because of that stillness, it really – look at us doing some, like – I know. Look, us being like – Film that, analysis. That film studies 101 from first year university has really come in handy. To be right honest, now. it's the first time I've ever used my qualifications <laughs> as a film studies student in post-university – um, for anything. So there you go. Here we yeah. are. Um, but I guess the only other thing that I want to mention maybe to wrap this up is the character of Colin. Oh, do we have to? Who seems <laughs> to be the caterer that's everywhere. He's he's dropping off sandwiches. He's at the wedding being, you know, with food. He's kind of deeply inappropriate, 100% creepy, goes to the UK to meet the, and then of course gets to some average bar, which is what he asked to go to in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And, yeah. Yeah. In Milwaukee. Yeah. And with his Britishness, instantly gets these three, but perhaps four or five American girls. Can't really keep track because he lands back in the UK with different ones. And it's all too much, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I got nothing to say about that, to be honest, apart from the fact that a, a creepy, yeah, again, this was a, a um, little bit of trivia. Apparently, the character who played Colin, uh, the actor Chris, someone don't know, um, gave back some of his paycheck because of that scene because he had such a good time. Which I think everyone will go, "Oh, <laughs> isn't that so funny?" And I'm just like, "Ugh, gross, creep. No, thank you. Yuck." Yeah, I think if they were going to do it now. That probably would be cut. That that no. whole week. No, maybe that's why you think it's nine separate stories because you refuse to acknowledge that one. Yeah, maybe. One. <laughs> yeah, I just erased that one from my memory. <laughs> but all in all, I think we can say that I still deeply enjoyed it. I got, I still got a bit teary, not teary, but like emotional around the the um, Heathrow bookend, you know, beginning and end moments. I think that Emma Thompson is queen. Um, oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. And I still enjoyed the majority of it. Yes, there's some things. Oh, one thing we didn't mention, actually, which we probably have to because 
it's just outrageous. Is there a lot of fat shaming in this film? Oh, so Emma Thompson apparently had to wear a fat suit. Which in this I film? think is ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Apparently she was she was too spelt for the character and they needed to get a bit of frumpiness on her. Which she I was think not frumpy is... at all. No, exactly. This is what I mean. But I also just, like, like the way they talk about Natalie's character is like Yeah, huge know, thighs. Huge yeah. thighs and then um Plumpy or something is what her family call yeah. her. And then when, yeah, and then it's just there was a little bit too much of this, again, a different era. I think this is, I think, you know, this all stopped this kind of chat in movies after that terrible, terrible Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, God. Um, Jack Show Black how. film. Yeah, yeah awful, I think after that awful, everyone awful, just awful, cleaned awful. up their act in terms of how you can talk about other people's bodies on film. Yeah. But, yeah, hey, it was not great. I just want to spend a little moment because we're sort of we're sort of here, <laughs> I, and this is where this film has. I really don't get me wrong. I still have a very special place for this film in my heart, but there are so many elements to it which are just. And we've touched on a couple. The men in this film are such pricks. Like it is, and I'm going to get to my Mariah moment in a second. Oh, I haven't done mine. The the men are really they're. They're just they're they're such problems. <laughs> they are really such problems. From you know Hugh Grant, and, and it's 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 element. There's elements to it. You know, Hugh Grant says, "Oh, this is inconvenient." When he has that start to fall in love with Natalie, and then when he sees her with Billy Bob, you know, gives her yeah. asked her to be redeployed. Then there's you know obviously Alan Rickman's character Harry, who's just a, a real. Rico, then Creepo Mark with the cards. Like there's if we if we if you analyze this film too much, you're gonna go down a rabbit hole being like, is there huge problems with with this? The and best male character is Juliet's husband Peter, pretty much because he never speaks. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> or Correct. Carl. Like, Sorry, or no Carl. Or Carl. Yeah, Hottie McHotface. He yeah. he is great. And we haven't actually spoken about the the heartbreakingness of that. Oh. You know, Laura Linney on the bed, you've got Carl in his oh, little black. Don't. Don't, I can't. Like pants on. I can't. And it, it, that's a still a scene that still sits with me just being like, oh, my God. And then she's – and the, the thing they talk about this film is that it is elements of different forms of love. And yeah. obviously we've got Laura Linney – again, I'm getting goosebumps here. Laura Linney's love for her brother who is in a, um, a care facility that she she sacrifices her, her own love or own, you know – That's why I think watching that – that... Sexy face. Yeah, 13 years later, the fact that she is in a different space is so yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't want to harp on about the men too much because they do use really interesting and really lovely devices for such pricks. <laughs> and I think the, there's these, and I think this probably goes to the strength of Richard Curtis with making that schmaltzy love story you know you see it in four weddings you see it in you know Notting mm. Hill with the press conference you see it like he's, he he has this real knack for creating these real rom-com elements and you look at the devices that they use like the sign mark with the signs at the door that's a cute thing it's just if we look too much into that storyline it's creepy but mm. like take that take that storyline out and give it to something else give it to someone else that's not so creepy it's really cute or Hugh Grant, not Jackman, 
going down all the streets in Wandsworth, knocking on the door, trying to find Natalie. Again, it's cute. Like it's really it's it's the grand use- gesture. It's yes. all about the grand gesture. And you know, I think the romantic inside of me was always like you always kind of think that would be great, but if it actually happens, you'd be like, this is this is a lot. Yeah. So can I get to can I go can I do my Mariah, my Mariah moment first? Yes, go for it. So, and we've edited in the little Mariah moment thing in here, so I'm going to speak it very carefully so that it makes it easier for myself to edit it later. (laughs) (laughs) So, my Mariah moment. (laughs) The women in this film. The women in this film are just amazing. Like, they're the ones, they are the strength of this. They are, and it goes through so many elements of life. They are the thing that hold this film together. You've got... You know, Laura Linney, which we spoke about. You've got Martine McCutcheon, who, you know, she delivers some absolutely cracker lines, being like, if you can't, uh, what is it? If you can't say it at Christmas, when can you say it, eh? Um, To Martine's mum, being like, eight is a lot of legs, David. (laughs) Being like, the Prime Minister's at your door. And he's like, I want to talk to your daughter. And she's like, (laughs) And "Uh, she's like, too much detail, mum, too much detail. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Prime Minister. She's got to go and see her little brother's concert at the at the school hall. And he's like, oh, well, I'm here on some very important state business, which was bullshit anyway, but she didn't know that. You um, know what? You've stolen my Mariah moment because um, oh no. my, my Mariah moment. <laughs> Martine's mum. Natalie's mum. Yeah. The octopus legs. I can't get past it. It's so great. It's so good. It's so, so good. And I think, you know, the, the women in this film – Again, superbly acted. Laura Linney and like Emma Thompson is an absolute standout. And I think that that scene in particular, which we did discuss, is referenced a lot. And rightly so. Like I think I saw somewhere that Kit Hutchin, uh, Kit's Harrington, Game of Thrones, Kit Harrington says that it's the finest piece of character acting he he's ever watched. And I couldn't agree more. I think it's just wonderful. Yeah. And you know what? In terms of let's just cut straight here to the reviews, the reviews pretty much agreed with us. Um, USA Today said that it was a multi-tiered cake of comedy slathered in eye candy icing and set mostly in London at Christmas, served sun-dry slices of love, sad, sweet, silly in all of their messy and often surprising glory. Pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Um, BBC said gave it four out of five, vibrant romantic comedy, warm, bittersweet, hilarious. This is lovely, actually. Prepare to be smitten. That's cute. That's cute. Um, Um, And then one which I think the New York Times said, you know, they they talked about a whole lot of things, but said it it is disturbing to see Emma Thompson's range and subtlety so shamelessly trashed and to see Laura Linney's intelligence similarly abused as a lonely, frustrated do-gooder. The fate of their characters suggests that women who are not young, perk secretaries or household workers have no real hope of sexual fulfilment and can only find compromised, damaged form of love, Oof. which is pretty pretty intense. But I feel like for Laura Linney's character is um, placated with the the short in um, 2017. Um, yes, yeah. But I do feel, and, you know, Emma Thompson didn't return to film that because Alan Rickman had just recently passed away and thought oh, that she and couldn't were- be in it. So I, I went down a couple of rabbit holes with this. Um, they were actually really close friends. And I saw Alan Rickman, the, the estate of Alan Rickman, released his um, diaries a few years, a little while after he died. And I saw this um, Emma Thompson giving a speech. Again, I'm getting like goosebumps. 
where she just spoke about her her friendship and relationship with Alan Rickman, and I did I didn't realize that they were cl- such close friends. Um, and it was just it's just beautiful. I think if you again if you want to look it up, it's Waterstones something Emma Thompson. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, can I just before we wrap up, I just want to go down one little rabbit hole which I went down, and I went into because I remember remember the days of the um the director's commentary on the uh, the DVD. Mate, I. True confession, my friend and I were quite obsessed with it. She ended up having like the screenplay, like the book of the screenplay, <laughs> and she had the DVD of the director's cut, which we did watch quite a lot. <laughs> they I still must make director's cuts. Surely. I mean, I guess. Surely. Yeah. But I want to, so there's one, there's one deleted scene, which it's sort of, it was, originally this film was three and a half hours and then they had to delete, they, so they, what they went through and they deleted one scene per storyline each. But one, one which I think, and again, you can find us. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, one which is where it's actually linked to Emma Thompson. So Emma Thompson gets called into the school by the headmistress, who played by Anne Reid, who's another fabulous British actress, um, because uh, Emma Thompson's son uh, Bernard. Bernard, Bernard, again, another reoccurring character in Richard and character name in Richard Curtis films gets called into the, by the headmistress because Bernie has written that his Christmas wish is to see people's farts, which I think is hilarious. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's obviously a problem for the headmistress. Um, but then there's another scene following that where the, the headmistress is then, is then another character who's brought in and she goes home to, um, to her partner, who is played by the fabulous Francis Delatour, who was in Harry Potter, played um, oh, yes. mistress of the of the girls. The girls. Yeah, I know who anyway, you mean. Yeah. Um, and Francis Delatour is playing, you know, Anne Reed's partner, who's is obviously terminally ill. And there's this um, beautiful scene in there where Anne Reed comes in and it's the deleted scene. She says, oh, I've got sausages. And it's, you know, she's tell- retelling the story about Bernie's, <laughs> Bernie's Christmas wish to see people's farts. And Francis Delatour just absolutely cacks herself, which is great. And it turns out later on in the film that Emma Thompson at the school play <clears throat> gets up and, and says, we want to we want to acknowledge our headmistress here because it turns out that Frances Delatour had actually um, passed away because she was, you know, fairly terminally, like the character was fairly terminally ill. Um, and there's this shot of Anne Reid, who's the headmistress, sitting in the audience with big glasses on. And it's, again, it's a really lovely, a lovely um, inclusion. And I would have loved to have seen it in the film, I think. It obviously is lacking in a little bit, bit of diversity and a little bit of same. We could have got rid of the whole Colin. Colin could have been got on the cutting floor, absolutely, and a lovely, beautiful same-sex, you know, older female storyline would have gone down real well for me. I would support you in that. Yeah, but um, yeah, overall, look, you know, there is there is some problems with it, but you know, I think there's a reason for it. Actually, one of the Guardian articles which I did read, the last line of this was, "Love actually is by no means perfect." But it's also just a bit of fun. And I think there's a lot of devices in there if you can get past some of the problematic stuff. Yeah, and I think that even though it has dated and things have changed a bit overall, it is really fun and I didn't really enjoy it. And it was nice to go back to something really familiar um, and take a break from our <laughs> first two um, Hallmarky kind of esque movies. But 
I'm I'm ready to go back there, to be honest. Well, next week. I'm glad that you've had a bit of a rest because it's my pick next week and we are gonna go back to the Hallmark <laughs> Netflix straight to TV. This was like this was obviously not a Christmas film. This is, you know, Love actually broke a bit of the ba- broke a bit of the mold that it was a Christmas film that didn't go straight to TV. So And maybe we should say, maybe this is a point for discussion that the Christmas the Christmas film has kind of had a resurgence with the um the streaming services because no one's gonna pay to go to the cinema. Absolutely but you'll definitely not. watch it. No, mm. no, no, for sure. Anyway, we'll just leave you with that here. tidbit for the week. But um, thanks so much for coming back for episode three and we look forward to chatting about who knows what next week. Who knows what next week. See you later. Bye. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're hoping that you can join us next week and the week after. Um, Follow, like, tweet, whatever you need to do. As good children of the 90s, we loved looking on (laughs) Hey Hey Saturday and seeing that they had a lock bag where people could send things to. In Crow's Nest. We don't live in Crow's Nest (laughs) and we are now living in the, you know, 2020s. So if you want to send us an email, you can send us an email at christmascrackerspodcast at gmail.com. Send us some recommendations send us your thoughts slide into our dms yeah whatever you want to do well i'm sure we'll respond to you maybe potentially who knows This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal and Wongal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We're very lucky to live, work and play in these wonderful countries.